Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and today we'll be finishing up our conversation about plantar fasciitis. Let me introduce our second set of panelists who will give their perspective on this condition. First up, we have Joe Muscolino, a soft tissue-oriented chiropractor who has been in the health and wellness field for decades. He has experience teaching massage therapists in the academic setting, and he currently has an impressive library of bodywork-centered videos that are a valuable resource for health and wellness practitioners. You can find a link to those videos on the How's the Pressure website. Our second guest is Irene Lyon, a nervous system expert who will be drawing on her experience in Feldenkrais and somatic experiencing to address this condition through the lens of trauma. Our third guest will be James Earls, who will be focusing on this condition from a movement perspective, specifically how we can include long chain movements and look at the body with a more holistic and whole body approach. Our fourth guest will be Robin Scher, who will help us look at the subject from the craniosacral point of view. And our fifth and final guest is Marjorie Brooke, who will be helping us understand how scar tissue plays a role in this condition. All of my guests today have had decades of experience in the field and are teachers and educators in their specific field of speciality. As usual, there are going to be a lot of different opinions and perspectives that will be shared over the course of this and other upcoming episodes. I want to be clear that I'm not trying to put one opinion over the other. I believe that my job is to bring in experienced people and ask them good questions. We have a lot to get to, so I give you the second panel on plantar fasciitis. All right, now we're going to go ahead and turn to Joe Muscolino to bring a soft tissue-oriented chiropractic perspective to this conversation. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Haley. Thank you very much for having me back here. It's my pleasure. So talk to me a little bit about plantar fasciitis. So uh, plantar fasciitis is a condition with which I have not had great success with manual therapy, and that probably is just even though I think I'm really good at analyzing the fundamental underlying anatomy, physiology, musculoskeletal anatomy, neuromyofascial skeletal uh, anatomy, physiology, kinesiology, pathology, and I have a lot of skill sets for manual therapy. I do a tremendous amount of massage, even though I'm technically, quote unquote, a chiropractor and I love stretching and all that. For some reason, I haven't seemed to be able to find uh, a great um, approach for plantar fasciitis. And of course, there is no one approach that everyone responds well to, but certainly I like to have my default guidelines with which I begin when someone comes in and then based on how they respond, I go from there. So plantar fasciitis is going to be basically an overuse of the plantar fascia, which basically goes from the 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 calcaneal tuberosity and crosses over the plantar side of the toe joints, metatarsophalangeal, proximal distal interphalangeal to go on to the distal phalanges of the toes. And it's a, it's a thick fascial sheath. It's, it can, you know, be called the plantar fascia. It can be called the plantar retinaculum sometimes. And um, it's overused, irritated, inflamed, hence the itis, plantar fasciitis. And, um, you know, when you have, let's start with that. If you have an irritated tissue that's inflamed, you could argue that one might use ice to try to alleviate it because ice can numb the pain and there really is no controversy over that. But there is controversy nowadays over ice being used for the sake of getting rid of inflammation. 
the person who coined the term rice has now repudiated that term. And there's, there's a big movement in the world of physical therapy, physiotherapy, and other branches of musculoskeletal health, et cetera, to not use ice at all. Now the pendulum is swinging way away from ice. I think that there is value for ice. I think that there could be quite a bit of value for it. So I still do use ice in my practice. But, you know, the people who are proponents, they would say if there's inflammation somewhere, you should have movement, movement of the area. Movement will help to dispel inflammation better. I don't disagree, but movement very often to a painful area causes more pain. And a lot of people don't want to move an area that's already in pain. And you can say that's what they should do, but a lot of people won't do it. So I still think there's a role for ice. I wanted to address that. Um, beyond that, the plantar fascia is certainly in the foot and plantar side of the foot. And certainly you have to look at why would the plantar fascia be irritated? Now, I once read, I love it, in Don Newman's kinesiology textbook. I absolutely love his textbook. I mean, I love my kinesiology textbook too, but his, in the world of PT, it's higher up. It's, it's just amazing for joint mechanics. And he put in there once a very simple formula. He's there are three ways that you can hurt basically a, a joint, a musculoskeletal structure. You can have an unhealthy structure that you load with a healthy force. And if it's unhealthy to begin with, then that could cause pain and push it over the edge and all that. You could have a healthy structure that you load with an unhealthy force. I don't know. I try to bench press 500 pounds and all that weight goes through my feet, smashes my arch into the ground, and I hurt my plantar fascia. And you can have a healthy structure that you load with a healthy force, but the structure has not been graded up to accept that healthy force. So it's too much right now. You're not warmed up. You didn't grade up to accepting it. And certainly you could take someone that maybe suddenly says, oh, well, I have, I have healthy plantar fascia, I have healthy feet, and I want to go running or jogging or something, and they do too much too quickly, right? I mean, it's a healthy force and a healthy structure, but they overwhelm it, and they get the structure irritated. And now it's an unhealthy structure, and they're doing maybe normal things like walking, but it, it keeps re-exacerbating and re-inflaming and irritating. And how do you stop someone from walking or standing? Right. I mean, actually, there is a way uh, some some physicians will put them in a boot. Right. And they can't use that foot at all for a period of time. And hopefully we try to avoid that. So I guess what I would say is I would look strongly at what they're doing in their life, whether it be postures. Maybe they have a dropped arch and that overstretches the fashion. I look at the posture of them standing and I see them collapse in an arch there. And that stretches out. The plantar fascia stretches out the long plantar ligament, the short plantar ligament, and the spring ligament, which help the plantar fascia hold the stability on the underside of the foot there to hold the arch in place. I look at their movement patterns and what are their sports and activities. But when it comes straight down to what do I do with my thumbs or fingers or elbow or whatever with manual therapy into the plantar side of the foot, I have not had great success. I realize that if there's adhesions, I want to do cross-fiber to break them up. I realize if there's degenerative changes, maybe I want to do some cross-fibery, deeper work to try and create the reignite an inflammatory cycle to bring in fibroblasts to heal the degenerated plantar fascia. I realize that I want to calm down the tone of the intrinsic plantar muscles that attach 
into the plantar fascia, and there are three in plantar layer one that literally go right into that plantar fascia, and I might want to work those three, abductor hallucis, abductor digiti, minimi pedis, and, and um, what is the other one? Flexor digitorum brevis, I think. So, I mean, you could argue doing those things, but I haven't really hit upon any great um, pearl of wisdom to offer here. Uh, I will say one thing that's outside of this box entirely. Anytime there is degenerated fascial tissue in the body, I'm a big believer nowadays in sending my patients, yes, away from me as a manual therapist, away from manual therapists generally, over to someone who can do a PRP injection, a platelet-rich plasma injection. They literally draw blood out of, you know, usually your arm. They spin it down. They take, it separates the elements of the blood in the centrifuge. They take the platelets, they put it in the plasma, they put it in a needle, and they inject it back into your degenerated fascia, whether it's a common flexor, belly, tendon of golfer's elbow, or whether it's plantar fascia. And it reignites a cycle to bring fibroblasts in to uh, lay down new collagen uh, matrix in that plantar fascia. So if it's a new plantar fasciitis and it's acute and all that, there's no need. But if it's longer standing, then that might be a viable treatment option for building up new fascial tissue in the plantar fascia. But again, I'll just repeat again. For me, I don't have any great pearls of wisdom. I hope the other um, guest presenters you have here in this podcast here can give some really great ways to approach plantar fascia, fasciitis with manual therapy. All right. Thank you so much for giving your thoughts on this condition. Uh, if you listeners are interested in learning more about Joe's work and perspective, you can find him at learnmuscles.com. And if you go to How's the Pressure website, you'll find a link for a free month to his video subscription service, and you'll get access to over a 1,000 continuing education video lessons for manual therapists like you. So thank you so much, Joe. Thank you so much, Haley. My pleasure. All right, so now we're going to turn to Irene Lyon, who's a nervous system expert, and she's going to provide us some context for how trauma plays into this condition. Thanks for joining us, Irene. Hey there, Haley. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about plantar fasciitis. Cool. Let's do it. So um, this, I probably will for this one, will bring more my Feldenkrais hat on, my neuroplasticity hat and structure hat. So if we think about the feet in Western culture, there's a tendency for us to use a lot of orthotics, right? This has become a, and what, why do we use orthotics? Typically it's to make sure that the, the, the inner arch doesn't collapse. So it, you know, provides that support so that the foot can be a structural powerhouse to move from. Mostly when I see saw people um, in my, in my Feldenkrais practice, there would be a very strong falling into the ground, a collapse in the knees an inner thigh internal rotation, which would then of course push into the inside edge of the feet. This is how we get bunions. Um, but from a structural point of view, from a Feldenkraisian point of view, when, whenever you are falling into the ground, the brain, the nervous system will do everything it can to catch you from falling. Even if there's like a millimeter or an inch off, let's just imagine that idea of collapsing in on the knees and on the feet, 
you think about that, it goes up into the, into the hips, it goes into the sacrum, into the SI joint, into the lower back. There might be kind of a hunched, very slouched, even tiny, it doesn't have to be big posture. And so <clears throat> all of the extensors, all of the stabilizers are working overtime. They're doing more than stabilizing, they're actually working. And so from my experience, when I was using more Feldenkrais techniques with my clients, fasciitis of the plantar fascia would be because the feet in relationship to the whole body and relationship to how that person senses and connects with the environment was off. The people that I saw who were better at not collapsing in this actually goes back to my days working in the mountain town, um, were more like the, the, the mountaineers, the people who really rock climbed and used their feet. Because if you are hanging off of a cliff or if you're scaling a, 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 um, a peak, you cannot collapse on your feet. You have to have an integrity within your foot to feel and set, be sensitive to the tiny bit of rubble or the, the loose stone, you have to be, and I call it potent posture. You have to be potent with your posture in any position so that you can sense if the ground is about to fall under you. And I found that working with that population, I saw way less problems of the plantar fascia. It was more overuse of say the hips and the knees. Whereas when I work more in the city, because we have sidewalks that are flat, there's less um, risk for falling over. And so we get lazy. We don't have to have that awareness. And I'll, I would see lots of people with orthotics in their shoes, but they're still collapsing in. So even though the orthotic is giving this support and is somewhat pushing the, <clears throat> excuse me, foot to the outer edge, the fourth metatarsal is like the sweet spot bone that connects to the calcaneus, which goes into the tibia and into the knee, into the hip. Um, they would have these orthotics, but they're still falling into the orthotic. So for me with plantar fascia and really lots of the troubles with the, the knees and the SI, we wanna look and see, can this person support themselves through their feet, know how to use the feet foot bones in a way that lifts them up and off of the ground rather than trying to ground into the floor, if that makes sense. It does. I have a question around, it, it seems like that the, uh, this stems a lot from people being disconnected from yes. their, their feet or their lower extremities. And I'm curious if you find that trauma plays into that where people will be uh, unaware or disconnected from their lower body and that contributes to, to that falling in. 100%. It's disconnected to the lower body, but to be honest, it's, it's disconnected to the whole body. And um, I was just teaching this weekend and there's a lovely young gentleman there who is highly disconnected, young, lovely guy, but just no sensation. And, and rightfully so, because when we've been raised in situations where let's just say the environment wasn't friendly or safe, and it doesn't have to be horrific abuse. It could be mom and dad are just so disconnected from their own body that there's no modeling of what being embodied is. And so we don't, if our primary caregivers don't model it and have it, we don't learn it. 
right? It, it's there, it's like, it's there to happen and express, but if we don't get good examples and our physical and our movement, we won't become embodied. So when there isn't that connection to the sensation, to how you feel the ground, to how you feel strain in the legs, you can go a long, long time without even realizing that you have legs or feet or that the feet bones can move. You know, there's, there's often, again, in Western culture, people's feet are so underutilized. Like the foot is like a solid block of concrete. And really there's, I mean, what is it? 26 bones in the feet. Like, there's so much diversity in that foot. And we're meant to use all the joint spaces and all the degrees of freedom in relationship to our upper body. So yeah, I would say 100% when there's trauma, when there's unresolved trauma, we disconnect from the body because we have no other choice, yeah. right? It's like, it's a, it's a safety mechanism. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Irene. Sure thing. So that was Irene Lyon. You can find out more about her and her work at her website, which is irenelyon.com. So now I'm going to bring in James Earls, who will give us his thoughts from the perspective of a massage therapist with a focus on combining movement and manual therapy. Welcome, James. Hi, Haley. Well, it's a pleasure to be back. Thank you very much for the invitation. Okay. So tell me about plantar fasciitis. Okay. You've picked some really interesting topics and some of the, the tough ones. Um, plantar fasciitis for me, it's, it's another one of those uh, conditions where we need we quite often need to think both locally and, and globally. So we have all of the, the local treatments that can, that can certainly help. So kind of the stripping out of the, both the, and the cross fiber friction for the plantar fascia, um, helping to stretch and open up all of the plantar flexors that can be restricting ankle dorsiflexion. Um, but then we also need to look at the causative factors. So why is it there in the first place? And sometimes that's, that's immediately obvious if there was a trauma, if you've, you know, if you jumped off a brick wall or something and kind of and landed too heavily, or if you've changed your training, or um, if you gained a lot of weight, if you're putting more pressure onto the foot, then it sometimes kind of kicks back at you. So um, if we can deal with some of those, then, then great. Um, otherwise, it's kind of checking the, the mobility of the foot. And this is where both, for me, overpronation or lack of pronation can be a cause. So if there's if there's too much looseness and um, not enough stability in the foot, um, if we see that kind of in walking that the foot is um, collapsing, turning out, um, going too far into pronation, so we can see it with a, a turned out foot occasionally was really checking the, the tilt of the calcaneus and kind of the, the support of the medial arch. Um, if those are present, then um, there's some local strengthening exercises that can be done. So kind of prescribing the short foot exercise, one of Yanda's um, exercises. And you just, if you Google on, if you search on YouTube, there's a probably 20, 30 different um, presentations of how to do short foot and um, all the slightly different nuance. So that can be useful. Um, and then also the, the almost the reverse of that, if there's not enough, or sorry, yeah, if there's not enough super, or sorry, not enough pronation, if the foot is an overly supinated type, um, it also means that the plantar fascia can be taking too much of a hit, so that the the foot needs to be able to adapt whenever it strikes. Um, 
particularly in walking or running. Um, so we, we wanted dissipation and distribution of the force through the, the rest of the structures of the foot. Um, so if it's not mobile, then um, that's probably much more in kind of the realm of the, the body worker where you can start to get into the, the deeper tissues and start kind of opening the foot up. And one kind of tip or technique that I would have to, to help with that would be if the, the client is lying prone to cup their calcaneus in one hand and to deliberately medially tilt it or to evert the calcaneus. And that leads into a kind of a, a, a reaction through the rest of the, the um, torsal joints that lets them unlock and lets them be a little bit more mobile. So by holding the foot in that position can help with the um, easing opening of the, the, the deeper tissues. So whether it's, um, so plantar fasciitis either, plantar fasciitis caused either by overpronation or almost, almost kind of underpronation, we can, there's something that we can do with the foot. And another thing to consider would be some of the, um, reasons why the foot might not be able to come back up into supination during walking. Um, so quite often we need to have enough ankle dorsiflexion in order to engage those plantar flexures that bring the foot back up into uh, being a rigid lever. If we're always towing off on a loose pronated foot, then the soft tissues are going to take a little bit more of the hit. Um, and this is one of the thing with the, the mechanics of the foot. It's both an, an adaptable shock absorber following heel strike, but then it also can be a, a rigid lever to deal with the forces coming up to toe off. Um, but to deal with it, dissipation, the dissipation of the forces, it needs to be able to pronate following heel strike or even in running uh, following the midfoot or forefoot strike. And then to be able to deal with the forces at toe off, then we need to come into a more rigid uh, what's called a rigid lever or more supinated foot and lack of supination then can also lead to overstress on the soft tissues of the, the, the plantar surface and lack of supination could be caused by any a, a huge number of factors and that's uh, a lot of those factors kind of go down to shortening the stride if you don't have a long enough stride then you don't get enough rotation maybe through the bones that come down to the foot um, that lead to supination before toe off or you don't get enough tensioning of the soft tissues this is where sometimes when I talk about the um, uh, it's almost the Vleeming's um, use of form and force closure around the SI joints so the, the foot has a natural bony architecture that locks and unlocks according to the mechanics of what's happening and there's also then the forced closure around the um, well, for him, for me, it be through the SI joint. For me, there's also then looking at the foot where we got the, the soft tissue tensioning that's required to hold those bones together. And both of those mechanisms um, work in, in concert with one another. So the bony driver for the um, resupination would be the, the lateral rotation that comes down through the leg into the foot during a stride. So if you think of the back foot as the other leg is swinging through, it creates a lat series of lateral rotations coming through the femur and the tibia, and that should resupinate the foot. And then also that back foot, the back leg really, is going into hip extension, knee extension, a little bit of ankle dorsiflexion, eventually toe extension. So all of those help to tension the soft tissues, which then also assist with the, the force closing of the foot.
So if we lose hip extension or ability to knee extend, maybe some ankle dorsiflexion or toe extension, we lose some of the, the soft tissue integrity. So for kind of long-term lasting benefit, then we should also be checking the rest of that lower limb and even into the opposite um, leg to make sure that the stride length is long enough. And so if if you... Um, identify as stride length being too short or that being that restriction being uh, perhaps part of the problem it seems like just telling them to stride longer is not sufficient there there's many many other components that that need to be uh, addressed in that to make that possible uh, can Absolutely. you can you speak to what it might be like to help assist them in going down that path sure um so i'd um, the position that I would use quite commonly is just a, a simple lunge position. So just going into lunge, uh, just taking a small step forward and and getting a picture of what's what's happening with the, the front of their hip and what's happening with the front of the hip and what angle is their foot pointing at or pointing to. So can they can they take that step and keep the, the foot pointing straight ahead? So both both feet come hopefully parallel, and what happens to the the tissues again at the front of the hip? So that can be lead into a working position, just working in that um, in, in that uh, lunge using fingertips, maybe at the in the front of the hip. So checking into rectus femoris, sartorius, tensor fasciae lata, um, and making sure also that the the knee is able to go into extension and it'll perhaps give you some information about the ankle plantar flexures, which would be restricting, possibly restricting the ability to go into ankle dorsiflexion. So we can um, use the, um, the position either just purely for the assessment or we can be working in that and then you know, taking them out of that position, working with the ankle plantar flexures, working into the back of the knee if necessary, working into the front of the hip, either on or off the table, just according to to needs or um, comfort. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. No problem. Now we're going to bring in Robin Scher, who's going to talk to us from the perspective of cranial sacral therapy. Thanks for joining us, Robin. Glad to be here, Haley. So tell me a little bit about working with plantar fasciitis. Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is the question I ask every client who comes in complaining of plantar fasciitis. I ask them if they tuck their sheets in. Why do you ask them that? Because I grew up in a family with hospital corners, and I know a lot of people who tuck their sheets in really tightly, which then plantar flexes their feet at night, so they are sleeping in a really flexed, shortened position also not having a lot of free range of motion. So I've known clients who have simply untucked their sheets, lived with the fact that it looked a little messy to them, and their condition resolved. So I I guess that might be called a hack, Mm -hmm. but it is the first question that I ask folks. What's the second question? What do you mean? How do you you know you have this? and then we talk about what their symptoms are because, again, right, diagnoses don't tell me very much. Symptoms tell me a lot. And a whole body assessment tells me even more. And I put the, my client's experience together with my experience of a whole body evaluation. And then we begin sort of this detective work of, of figuring out what this body needs. 
not so much to necessarily fix this condition, but what this body needs overall to be in a place where it has the resources to get toward better health. Most of the time that means a condition improves, but sometimes it gets worse for a little while. Sometimes other things get better, and then this condition improves. Right? So when folks come to me saying, I want you to fix my plantar fasciitis, I, you know, there's a bit of education in what craniosacral therapy is. And um, you know, I'm not going to be doing deep, you know, deep tissue work to the deep compartment, probably. Although every once in a while, in the course of a session, that's exactly what's called for. And thank goodness I have the training to do it. And so I can apply it through a craniosacral lens. Um, other things I talk to people about are, are movement patterns. I give a lot of referrals for, uh, for folks who are having movement difficulties. I think uh, if people don't have access to a really good rehab Pilates person or a very, very good PT, Katie Bowman's work. Do you know her work? Nutritiousmovement.com. She has a stretch over a half-round roller that has done the trick for I can't even count how many of my clients who tend toward plantar fasciitis when they change their exercise routine or continue to wear high heels when they don't work for them. Uh, Some things that come up for me that I notice in my folks who have this diagnosis is that their fibula isn't moving very well. That's an interesting thing to notice. Um, It takes, it's not something one would notice if one was doing sort of an orthopedic assessment, much more of a craniosacral assessment. What's the intrinsic motion of this bone? And in yeah, in a good percentage of the cases that I have with folks who present with this condition, the, the fibula is, uh, I guess, what people would call it like dropped. It's a little south, a little inferior of where it would be happiest and most mobile. So sitting with that for a while tends to be helpful. I've also seen people misdiagnosed. They come in, they say they have plantar fasciitis, they've been working with a physical therapist for two months, nothing's getting better, and I put my hands on their feet and feel that, you know, have you seen, have you seen an orthopedist? I think you might, you might want to, and they, they've had fractures that were misdiagnosed so, or undiagnosed. There are considerations, right? Do you tuck your sheets? Are you in high heels all day? How are you walking? How are you moving? How are you moving? What are your symptom patterns, right? Is this something that, you know, is it worst first thing in the morning when you get out of bed and then with, you know, first few steps are horrible, you feel hobbled and like an old person, which causes you great distress, which is why you're in my office, right? Okay, that's pretty classic if it gets better through the day. Great. We can talk about stretches. I can send you to someone who's really qualified for that. So yes, there's, there's always that. And there are simple cases. And there, there's always a, a whole potty pattern. There's always something new to find. And I am not a fix-it person. I am an explore-with-me person, get-to-know-your-body person. Let's track sensation together. Let's make, let's make you believe what I believe, which is that your body is the true expert in the room. Let's listen to that expert. Mm. And do you find that there's something specific to people who are working with symptoms of plantar fasciitis or symptoms like plantar fasciitis that the practitioner should be particularly careful of or aware of when working with that person? In a craniosacral context, no. 
right? In other contexts that are outside of my scope, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Robin. Thanks a lot, Haley. That was Robin Scher, and you can learn more about her through her website at livinginthebody.net. And if you want to learn more about craniosacral therapy in general or its trainings, you can visit upledger.com. So now I'm going to bring in Marjorie Brooke, who will give us her thoughts as an expert in scar tissue. Welcome, Marjorie. Hi, Haley. Thanks for having me. So talk to me about plantar fasciitis. Okay, well, there almost isn't any single cause for plantar fasciitis, which is why so many people struggle to treat it. And the solution uh, is to, it has to address the root cause. Okay, so when you have the tissue is being caught in a chronic state of degeneration, all right, where it's been immobilized, there's a hypoxia probably, there's uh, inflammation, okay, and all of that tearing and all of that lack of oxygen is causing the tissue to degenerate, right? Um, if it's, it's one thing, if it's like a bone spur that's cutting the fascia, right, then we have to address the bone spur, the bone spur, excuse me. Um, but if we're not quite sure it's a posture related, it's a, you know, a gait related, it's an injury from a knee or the hip, what's going on. So here's the thing we have to think about with fasciitis, besides trying to figure out what body mechanics have to be corrected, is that the scar tissue that's being laid down due to the degeneration of the tissue is maybe the only thing holding the foot together. Most people will go right into a stretching program regardless of the scar tissue, thinking if they mobilize and just pull and stretch the calf, the Achilles, all of that, it's going to lengthen and it will help. But if you don't think about the scar tissue as part of the restriction, you're not getting to uh, the root cause. Um, we need to get circulation back in the area. We need mobilization. And the way to do that is to gently work some scar tissue um, and then mobilize. Um, now, Again, your goal is not to break down and remove the scar tissue. It has replaced the normal tissue that's there. So we want to get it functioning proper. We want to get it able to be malleable, to move with the foot and move the way the foot needs to move without pain. We ha and it also may be that we have nerves now trapped within the scar tissue. This happens a lot with the fasciitis. A lot of the burning sensation is aggravated nerves. Sometimes burning sensation is if Again, we'll go back to a bone spur. That's cutting. That's a ripping, cutting sensation versus we have nerve entrapment within the tissue because of the adhesions in the, in the, in the scar tissue. So um, we want to reduce the inflammation. The best way to reduce the inflammation is through range of motion. So our range of motion is limited. That's fine. We go a little bit at a time. We work in every single range of motion. We do some scar work. Um, we work within the planes of the fascia and the muscle and then do some more stretching then and more mobilization. And at the same time, I would use analgesics if it's really hard, uh, painful, you know, fibro cream or anything that's going to lessen the pain as you work. But again, it must be slow layer by layer. Then once we've got it mobile, now we have to take the proper body mechanics up the body. How did we end up with the fasciitis on the bottom? What's, where did it come from? Because it didn't start at the foot. It started from a pull from someplace else. So you mentioned that sometimes the, the scar tissue can be one of the only things holding the foot together mm -hmm. if, if it's a chronic uh, plantar fasciitis. And I'm curious, in, in that instance, is there like a strengthening program that feels oh. like, is it, is, it about, is it also about increasing the muscle tone and increasing the muscle mass so that the, the integrity of the foot is better able to withstand the range of motion? 
well, you, you always want to increase strength uh, when something's being uh, falling apart, which is what's happening, the tissue's deteriorating. But before that, we have to establish uh, range of motion flexibility. Once we've got the joint moving, um, the form of stretching that I like to do, my integrated therapeutic stretching, um, is it's both a strengthening and stretching because it's a positional stretching where we're uh, having the uh, agonist muscle work so that we can fully work with the antagonist. But um, at the same time, there are strengthening exercises. If it's, uh, but again, before you figure out how, before you can figure out how to strengthen, we have to figure out what the cause is. What's weak? What's strong? right? Is what's pulling. Cause you don't want to all of a sudden start doing exercises and you're strengthening the very area that's causing the problem. So you want to get the range of motion, see where the pain is and then correct the body mechanics and include strengthening exercises always, but flexibility range of motion, uh, comes first. And, uh, again, we have more than likely have a lot of inflammation and the only way you're going to get inflammation is through range of motion. That is how the body is going to reduce the of the inflammation and clear it out of there because the edema is only going to move by the pumping action of the foot. Thank you so much, Marjorie. You're welcome. If you want to learn more about Marjorie and her work, you can learn more at marjoriebrookseminars.com. All right, that does it for our guest today. A few thoughts and notes and highlights from me. Uh, I think this episode was actually quite useful in showing how challenging this condition can be to treat. I appreciated Joe Muscolino's honesty in not necessarily having a specific technique in his tool belt that he felt was effective with plantar fasciitis. And this is someone who's experienced and highly regarded in the field. So I, I really do appreciate that, that honesty. Now, while there were also some great options for treatment provided by James Earls and Marjorie Brook, as well as that cool hack that Robin Scher mentioned, I also appreciated the emphasis regarding the path to discovering and treating the underlying features and causes of each plantar fasciitis patient. Again, this is a good condition to highlight how there are many different avenues for someone to go from a healthy body to one that is afflicted with a soft tissue condition. And that's because there are so many different ways in which we choose or don't choose to live our lives. Factors that play into this include our physical posture, like collapsed arches, as Irene Lyon mentioned, or the activities we choose to do, or unconscious physical habits, or past injuries, or just our genetic disposition. It reminds us to go back to that ever-present theme, that I think we should all be treating the client, not the condition. Again, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. And I look forward to being back in two weeks. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. A big thank you to all of my experienced and esteemed panelists. I continue to be honored that they let me poke and prod their minds on these subjects. It wouldn't be possible without them. Please do rate us on iTunes or through whichever podcast app that you listen to us. And feel free to visit us on Facebook and suggest new topics for me to cover in future episodes. Until then, be well. Be well.